Welcome back to Following Noah on a Stormlight Podcast. This week is episode 64, and we have our first set of interludes in Oathbringer by Brandon Sanderson. We're also ch- tacking on chapter 33. Uh, Paul, how are you? Fabulous. Good. And Elliot, how are you? I'm going to be honest, I'm a little exhausted. Uh, my wife and I just had our third child this week, so I'm running on very little sleep. And if I say anything that makes zero sense, I apologize now. That is why. Congratulations, Congratulations. Elliot. That's very exciting. That's incredible. All right. So we have a couple new new faces in our interludes. I'm going to get this out of the way in the intro here. Zeth didn't show up. Sorry, Paul, but Zeth is not in our interludes. No Did... Ishik either. Where's <laughs> that? Dude? Yeah, where's Ishik yeah. from the Way of Kings? I'm used to it at this point. No Zeth interludes. All right. Do you guys have two words to summarize uh, episode 64? Start with you, Elliot. Uh, mine are a little cheeky. I went with trashy romance. <laughs> trashy romance. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yep. Uh, for for me this week, uh, jumping right in, is light and dark. Light and dark and mm-hmm. trashy romance. Let's use these four words and talk about episode 64. All right, between the two of you, you guys have very different set of two words for your... Uh, and to be fair, the tone between the three interludes are very different um, as as far as it, each one goes between the between the rest of them. So let's start with Elliot. Actually, we'll come back to Elliot because I want to talk about that for a second. I'll go on a little rant, but we'll do Paul first. Yes, that makes more sense. Um as I'm very insightful. Um, so light and dark, I have for a couple of reasons. One is there's just some, some dark things we, we've seen in general, like with our Venli interlude, um, and also with our Yasna chapter, there's kind of a contrast between light and dark. There's like a lot of good things happening, but there's like bad things going with it, I guess. Um, hence the dark. Um, that and then also just kind of the allusion to like light and stormlight in the first interlude and stuff like that. Um, I thought it encompassed it fairly well. I uh, I picked a trashy romance simply for the second interlude, and I uh, it, it, it's a little bit a uh, little bit cheeky there. I it, I didn't really feel it was necessarily a, a trashy romance, but I thought it was pretty hilarious the little journey our, our ardent goes on where. All the rest of the Ardents are trying to worry about these big, important life events. The Everstorm is here. What are we going to do? The world's falling apart. And all she really wants to do is just sit down and read her steamy romance novel. And I laughed like out loud a couple times during that interlude. It was pretty hilarious. So this uh, this interlude is really popular in the fandom because it's Brandon Sanderson... Uh, he said that it's his critique of like really bad romance novels. He just wanted to put this in just as like a, a fun, a fun piece of like, this is the type of stuff that people are reading and enjoying. And I just don't understand it. So he put, he put in something like that just to kind of make fun of it and prod and, you know, poke at it. So that that's just, it's really funny to me and I'm glad you enjoyed it too. There was another comment tucked in there. That's rather meta if you will in that conversation where the the Arden is talking with another Arden about the the romance novel series that she even makes a comment about how well well sequels sequels always have to be bigger of course it's like well yeah. yes that is the expectation right and here we are reading a a series where each book literally gets bigger as we're going all right let's jump right into interlude one are we doing our spell check? <clears throat> oh, thank Maybe, you. Maybe we can we can jump no, right into no, interlude one. No, you're you're we right. We can jump you're right, right into interlude one. I know that you're definitely gonna miss our <laughs> spell check. So, 
our spell check, we only have one this week, but thank you for reminding me, Paul. Uh, we have one from Interlude 3. It is the name of the spren that we meet, the void spren that we meet, um, that Venli is talking with, and she's rather distraught, uh, and the spren doesn't really care. Uh, Elliot, we'll start with you. Spren name, void spren. I wanted to go kind of crazy on this because it's, you know, out of this world, void spren, but I think I'm going to try and keep it somewhat simple and just go with Ulim. That's the right character, right? It Ulim? is. It is the right character. And they, you're, you're fairly close. They just do a soft U, U or oh, okay. a, I don't know how to, how yeah, to say you're that. Right. You're right. Ulim? It's yes, it's Ulim. Ulim. Yeah. Okay. Ulim. Um, and I went very basic on this, and both of I'm just basing off of what both of you are saying. It sounds like it's more complicated, uh, but we'll give it a go. I went with Ulim as U L I M, very short and sweet. Correct. You are you oh, are correct. Let's go on the money. Let's go. I bet I'll never miss a spell check again in my life. And that's that's really <laughs> well. Uh, yeah. Okay. But that's I'm glad you you stopped us to do that spell check because you wanted to get it. Spot yeah, on, I knew. So. I was very confident. You know, I I don't miss spell checks often. So, all right. Mm-hmm. Now we can jump into interlude one, and we have a lighthouse keeper. His name is Puli. And for anyone asking or anyone wondering why we didn't put Puli in the uh, spell check, it's because he's the title of the chapter. So Paul would have seen that before. So it's not quite as fun. Yeah. And just before I really talk about this interlude, I don't think we're going to be talking about this interlude very long, but what were your guys' first impressions of this interlude? Did you, are you, are you, are you expecting more from interludes at this point? I guess I'll ask because there's really not much to this one. I was digging, I was reading it. With that critical eye, looking for you know what can I suck out of this chapter to you know what nugget of knowledge is buried in here? Yeah, I couldn't find anything, nothing. I a couple of interesting references to the origin and like people wielding stormlight, but we kind of already know of a fair amount about that. Not so much the origin, maybe, but yeah, I didn't get much out of this one. Likewise, and I, I do have to say, I, I guess I'm a little disappointed. I I just really look forward to the interludes, which is fine. I understand they're not always going to be super impactful, and it's like, whoa, this is groundbreaking new information that's going to impact our story somewhere else. You know, that can't always happen. And we've seen, I feel like it's steadily kind of decreased on average on the significance. Um, and we more so see just like general perspectives from other places. Or just random things like our our romance novel, um, but uh, we did have an exciting interlude with Venley. But I, I almost think of those interludes that that are happening now, like the significant ones, as kind of like okay, that could have just been a chapter. Honestly, like the right. interludes, I feel like have lost some significance, which I hope that kicks back up. But just with how our stories progress, there's like less wild potential with interludes i guess so i will say this about this interlude there is certainly reread potential for people who have who know more about the cosmere than than you guys do however it's gonna be quite a while till you guys put those pieces together it's you have to know a lot before you can figure out what exactly and why this is this interlude is here um, because it has to do with geography and stuff like that. So, like, where he is on Roshar is important, and talking about the origin, like, that type of thing is important, but you have to know quite a bit before you can really get stuff out of this this interlude. I've been really curious about the origin from the very first time we heard it, which was a while ago now, and we haven't really learned anything yeah, other than it's just kind of a direction. It's just, you know, right. east, the origin. Like, we don't even know if there's anything there. There's a few people that kind of, oh, there's folk tales about maybe there's an island out there, or maybe there's people, maybe there's a being that sends the, the storm, you know, lots of more superstitious stuff. But 
I am really interested to see if that's going to become more important and the origin might be something important, but yeah, it certainly hasn't come yet. It, the, I guess your main takeaway is he's waiting for the people with light in their pockets, which we can assume would be the Knights Radiant, you know, like we can kind of piece that together. And then he's expecting them to come from the origin. So maybe there is something at the origin that has to do with our Knights Radiant. That's that's pretty much all you can draw from from what we know so far. So. Okay, so I'll I'll just plan to come back to this after we know way more. So like two weeks. We'll yeah. Look back at this. Yeah, we can look back at it in you know <laughs> yeah. a couple chapters. That works. All right, interlude two. So, Alista is an ardent. She's in Yakoved on the western side of the Horn Eater Peaks, and she's at the center of the. Oh shoot! What do they call it? It's like the cat. It's the headquarters of the something of the mind. I don't remember what this is called. Hang on. Oh, it's not going to come to me. Anyway, so they're on the western side of the Horn Eater Peaks. So they're fairly covered. They're fairly prepared for high storms. Uh, where this little monastery, if you will, is. Um, there's a bunch of Ardens here and they've built it on like right barely in Yakoved between Yakoved and uh, Alethkar and they're they're fairly sheltered in from high storms but with New Everstorm their entire garden kind of picked up and left so that's why a lot of the, their Ardens are freaking out it's like we can't plant more trees they're just gonna you know leave so what do we do so there, there are some world-building things in here, but I, I will say the main thing is just Brandon Sanderson's cheeky uh, jab at romance novels. So what, what did you guys get out of this one? You know, I've I've said before I'm not a big fan of any any of our, like, romantic scenes. But, you know, this one had a lot of taste, and I think uh-huh. I, really, you know, I, I, <laughs> I really enjoyed this interlude a lot. It just had great read value. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I'm being very sarcastic. I I was kind of like, okay, you're being funny, Mr. Sanderson. <laughs> thanks, thanks for the laugh. I will move along now. I, di- I didn't really get a lot from this. I, I didn't. I kind of just listened to it and it was like all right moving on and then went to the next one to be honest yeah i didn't get a ton out of this one i got more than the first one though i had a couple questions i wrote down or or things i noted the first was on the dawn chant because the the other artists are also talking about that and how they're doing research on that and how what navani has translated from dalinar's visions has turned into a bit of a Rosetta Stone, if you will, where now right. they can start to use that to unlock and translate more examples of Dawn Chant that they have. And so they're they're starting to really dive into that and it's allowing them to gain a little more knowledge, it seems. So slightly interesting there. The other thing I brought up was is actually just a question for you, Trevor. Maybe maybe you can answer this for us. The other Ardent that's talking to what was her name? Alista? Alista character here. Irv is the other guy. So that guy is described as a siln, right? Is this a new race that we have not encountered before, like Alethi and Herdazian and all of those? Is this a new like nationality? It's it's a city. Silanesin is a city. Um, it's really close to where they are. It's in the foothills. Of ah. of Yakoved. Um, so it's just really stating like he's a Lethi or he's from Yakoved or you know, he's fr- from Kolinar. He's he's Siln, he's from Sil is the is a city. Got it. That's helpful. I could not figure out what that was referring to. Yeah. That was it really. So yeah, you're you are correct that Navani is interpretations of Dalinar's visions is 
uh, Rosetta Rosetta Stone is a good word for it because they're using what she's or she's using what she's pieced together to kind of create a, a dictionary or an alphabet, if you will, and then they can interpret from there. So one thing that is important to note that they they do believe her that the Dawn chant is translatable now, and they are going from that. However, they they throw away all of her actual content. They don't they don't believe in the actual visions themselves. They're just using the her transcriptions as a footstone to you know translate all this Dawn chant stuff that they have. So they don't they don't actually believe that Dawn are seeing visions from the Almighty. It's just you know oh you can conveniently gave us the alphabet of the Dawn chant. We'll use that. Thank you. Do you guys want to know hey. if she uh, if she ends up with Sterling or the other guy in her 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 novel, or do you not you guys not care? Not one bit. <laughs> nope. Don't care. I'm actually very invested. Can you please share this, Trevor? I I would love to know. Uh, you'd have to write Brandon Sanderson on that one to release okay. the release the in world novel for that one. You you will be hearing from me shortly, Mister Sanderson. Wouldn't that be hilarious, though, for him to write one of his, you know, novellas as that in-world novel that she's... That would be hilarious. <laughs> there's, There's been a real stir for him to write the in-world Way of Kings, which oh. he is not, which I would, like, genuinely want to read. That would be really cool oh, yeah. to me. But, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't done it yet. But I don't think he has the time for that yet. Yeah. That would be super cool. Something else that I think is super cool, though, was our third interlude, if y'all are ready to talk about that. Um, yeah. I was pretty pretty excited to talk about that. Whenever we were getting a Venli perspective um, there, I thought that was pretty cool, because just um, thinking ahead, don't we know that the the next book is from her perspective? You right? do, yes. We okay. we know that because we drug it out of Trevor. Yes, we did. We did drag it out of him, and you know we would have. I feel like we would have. We would have figured that out eventually. But it's made me curious to to see more from her perspective now, um, and see like what's going on to kind of think about what may happen down the line. And that is very far down the line because we're just one part into Oathbringer, which is pretty lengthy. Um, but I, I thought it was really cool to see, and I was pretty shocked. That Eshin and I was actually dead. Here. I was I was going to yeah. start with that. So you guys were both convinced at the end of Words of Radiance. It wasn't even a question for you guys that Eshin and I was alive because you, you're like, oh yeah, she's wearing shard plate. She's in care. She's in storm form. A couple hundred feet dropped. She's totally fine. She'll get up and you know walk away. She was fine, and then she drowned in the in the everstorm, uh, high storm waters. So she is dead, or at least. As far as you know, we're fairly certain she's dead. They 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 pried the pried her armor off of her dead body, so we're fairly certain she's dead. Yeah, this definitely was a shock for me. I I, I guess I would defend our our assumption in that she didn't necessarily die from the fall, and she was just, I guess, incapacitated and then drowned in in the flood, but. Yeah, I'm still very surprised by this. I'm still maybe she was already injured or her shard plate was like really damaged from the battle more than we assumed, but a storm form Parshendi, you know, basically like a windrunner pretty much who can fly and do all this crazy stuff in shard plate should be able to withstand a fall off a cliff based on just kind of some of the evidence I feel like we've seen. But yeah, maybe Maybe it was damaged. Maybe there was more going on here. But this, I was very surprised, very surprised reading this chapter that Eshenai is dead and, as far as we know, gone at this point. Kind of bouncing back to Paul's Rhythm of War comment that he just made, Brandon Sanderson was very close to making Rhythm of War from Eshenai's perspective as opposed to Venley's perspective. Like, it was kind of a last... He had written the book without the, like flashback chapters if you will that i mean this is minor spoilers but you get 
uh, Venli Eshenai flashback chapters because it's from it's her book, so you can assume that you get that. Mm. Um, but he almost read it as Eshenai's book as opposed to Venli's book, but he swapped it like maybe two months before his before his first draft end date. So he was actually really close to making Eshenai like a full, like I don't know this for certain, but I'm fairly I'm fairly certain he was he left the end of Words of Radiance open to if he wanted to keep Eshenai alive, he could. Or if he wanted to push with Venli, he could. So he chose to like make Venli a more star character as opposed to an Eshenai, so interesting. Yeah, I, I do think it's 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 pretty cool. And so we I feel like this is one of our few pretty few like confirmed deaths of like an actual notable character it's like eshenai and sadius and some people who die in like flashback chapters or whatever like shalon's fame gavilar yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. stuff like that um so i think that's kind of interesting and i'm i'm curious on if there was more to that or like later, if we may see like more from Eshenai's perspective of how she died. Cause I, I don't remember fully the like description and I know it wasn't like, Oh, they saw her eyes were like burnt out. Like it was a shard blade, but it made a point to like point out how her eyes were. And I thought it, I assumed it was like something happened more so than just like, Oh, she drowned. They so I I actually was listening for this because I didn't remember um, this detail. So I was listening to this on this listen through. But it, he describes her eyes as dead. They lift her faceplate and her eyes are dead. So they're not burned out. They're just unresponsive. But then they do make a point of pointing out something else in this scene, though, and that's that as Venli is like the last one to turn away from the corpse or whatever, at the very end, she sees some sort of spren, like almost as if it's like leaving Eshenai's body or it's like crawling out from underneath Eshenai's body. And it's, it's mentioned in a way of where it's like, Oh, is that actually important? Or maybe it was like the fact that it's like, you know, specifically noted makes me think it is important, but not enough detail there to like know what that actually is meaning. It's just an Eshenai Spren. Apparently. Makes makes total sense. It's just an Eshenai Spren. Yeah. And there's no Eshenai there anymore, so it's no longer like attracted to that, right? So it's gonna go find another Eshenai. Then I'll I'll take this a step further. (laughs) So I'll I'll take this a step further here that Venli assumes that so you know how You know how Spren are like the embodiment of an idea, kind of. Venli, up until this point, has thought Eshnai was alive, and so now Eshnai is dead. Venli accepts that, and then a spren kind of goes, wee, 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 you know, like leaves. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. We also know that the Parshendi have to like capture a spren in order to change forms right like a, there's a spren involved in that transformation yep or, like perhaps like when the parshendi dies that spren gets released or something like that but i would assume that would have happened when she died not when you know venli stood there so i'm not sure it could have been freed and then was just hanging out next to Eshenai for a while but maybe Any more takeaways from our interludes before we jump into part two of Oathbringer? One more thing on this interlude, our Void Spren guy, the guy we named at the beginning, Ulim. Ulim, yeah. I noticed something interesting about him. He that it's it's specifically pointed out that he has to like jump from surface to surface. He's described as like a bolt of electricity or like a zap or something like that. But he like runs along the chasm wall and he has to like jump to their hands it, it seems like he's tied to 
physical matter. Like he has to stand on something, which is very different than kind of our understanding of a lot of other spren, like wind spren or sill. Sill just kind of floats around and, you know, ignores the world around her from the most part. This guy seems to be tied, have to stand on things. I noticed a parallel to from that to the spren that Kaladin talked to when he's with the um, the awakened Parshman, yep. right? There's the, the yellow spren that's there described. He, he notices when he talks to her that she, like this pillar of earth rises up underneath her for her to meet so she can stand on it. Yep. This has now become a bit of a like, it's more than a coincidence now. It's a bit of a theme with these guys. They seem to have to stand on something. Why is that important? It avoids, That's a void sprinter more tied to the physical realm than like radiant spren, I guess is what you're trying to say. Right. Like is and and put that in question form. Like, is that the case? You know, is are they tied to the physical realm? Is there something else kind of weird going on here where they're not as free to move about as like an honor spren or I mean, I guess patterns kind of tied to he's always like in something, he has to be on something, so maybe not, but uh, curiosity in these new void spren. And could even use the same logic with the unmade, right? The uh, Jean Knot was way more. No, not Jean Knot. The other one, the Midnight Mother. Is that wait? Ray Shapir. Thank you, Ray Shapir. Yes, yeah. it took me a little while to remember that. Yeah. Um, Ray Shapir is way more in the physical realm than we've ever seen either. So, mm-hmm. and and I just made a connection whenever you mentioned pattern. Which this isn't guaranteed, but okay. So thinking of some of the rules we've thought of with our spren, or the the realm of the spren. So we know that there are different kinds of spren. There's whatever. There's kind of the like honor spren. There's the cryptics. There's I forgot. Was there a name for Wendell's group or something? Cultivation I thought there was something. spren. Something like that. Or anyways, there's there's different like kind like kind of groups. Right, it's like Syl doesn't like the cryptics, things like that. Um, but in our with our knights radiant, right? There's nine of them, and each one kind of shares a quality with another knight radiant order um, and stuff. And I'm wondering if the kind of being bonded to a physical surface is something that the cryptics have in common with these void spren um and maybe they you know do other things or whatever but it could be just kind of like a similarity in the spren world that they have um and the cryptics have been known to be kind of shady i guess uh these lie spren you know um that's not anything super significant but that's just kind of where my mind went whenever you mentioned pattern being physically on things and yeah every time we've seen these void spren it seems like they are Although previously, this is the last thought I had about it, with our with our spren who the first void spren we saw, that when she walked it was like there was kind of like a pillar underneath her. Was that quite literally like the ground was rising way up to like meet her foot, or I kind of assumed it was like a spren pillar of just like maybe it was real stuff, but stuff that she like formed, and that was just kind of how she operated that sprint but it wasn't like physically like the ground or anything like that but like something she made almost like sail or some other spring could do i don't know if that makes sense yeah i'd have to go back and read it my recollection is is i think more in line with you where i was thinking that was imaginary matter or you know mm-hmm. spren matter of the pillar, not necessarily like physical dirt rising up, but that could be an important distinction if we're going to try and make any guesses like, or if there's any significance to this. So maybe after the, after we record, I'll have to go back and read that. It's true. Honestly, there could be no significance to this. Right. And it could just be like void sp- sprint like pattern. Just, they just lay on the surface, you know, like, um, Yep, we're totally going down a, a rabbit hole on this one, probably. It's a good rabbit I hole blame, to go down. Yeah, I blame Trevor. Let's yep. go down the rabbit hole. That's fine. You can blame me. <laughs> With that, I am ready to talk about part two. I don't know if 
uh, Elliot has anything else. No, let's do it. All right. So, Yasna Colin has returned to our to our storyline here. She has entered your theory and Shalon has mixed feelings for sure, which we'll we'll talk about here shortly. But Yasna is also wasting no time here. She's like day one, she's here studying this pillar. So in proper Yasna fashion, she just wants to be a be a scholar. So what were your guys's well, I'll ask you this first. Shalon kinda had a sweet, like a, a nice sweet spot for herself here. The only like really notable female Knights Radiant like set up in your She was making a good name for herself for like with the Colins and stuff like that. And here comes Yasna back to tell, you know, everybody what the clumsy young girl that she used to be, like who, who that was. So now she's has to go back to being a, uh, Ward is ward. escaping me. Thank you. Yasna's ward. Um, and she doesn't really like this. So, I think that showcases a bit of her development. Um, because just thinking about what we know about Shalon, like whenever she first came onto the scene, it was like the goal was to be Yasna's ward. Um, and now she's so like beyond that of like oh, wow, like, it was so fortunate she became a ward. Now it's like, wait, no, I'm not going to be a, your ward, like, even for Yasna, you know. Which, I think, that's just a cool little side note, I think. It, it shows how far her confidence has come, for sure. She started off, just like you said, Paul, just trying to get to be a ward, and now she's disappointed by the fact that she's still a ward. Like, she's, she feels like she's ready for so much more. And I think, based on what we've seen of her, it definitely feels like she is now a contributing member of the newly founded Knights Radiant at this point. But maybe she's gonna have to earn that a little bit in, in Yasna's eyes, perhaps, since Yasna hasn't seen any of what we've seen. Right. When we when we first met Shalon, Shalon was excited to be in the same room as Yasna. Yeah. And now that Yasna's back, she's like, oh, dang it. You know <laughs> I want to get you guys' thoughts on this pillar that the unmade was guarding or corrupting or whatever you want to, whatever verb you want to put there. Uh, in the library down here, there's this huge, it describes this as a 20 foot tall pillar and all 10 types of gemstones, gemstones are like infused into this pillar. And like there's not just 10 gemstones there's like a, like thousands but there are there's 10 different types just like scattered through the whole thing so any predictions on what it does if it does anything or like what the significance of this is so i i was already thinking down the lines of fabriel before we even got to this chapter when, we, when they first described this pillar, I actually was thinking, wouldn't it be cool, wouldn't it be awesome if what we're seeing now is kind of a dead Urethiru? Like all, everything's shut off, nothing works, it's just empty rooms of rock. But what if, in the time of the Knights Radiant, in the time of Noadon, this pillar, this tower had like all of these amazing technology and running systems, like you know, flowing water and, you know, air conditioning. And we, we've kind of seen the like lifts, the elevators basically work. That's about all we've seen, I think. Right. What if there was so much more? There was a section before this that talked about the struggles they have with getting rid of their waste. Like all they know how to do is soul cast it into other stuff. So they just kind of, you know, designate rooms, like everybody go do your business in there and then we'll soul cast into something not so nasty. Like what if there were... Fabrial powered systems to do everything that like you and I are used to lights, air, heat, like all of these things that we know Fabrials are slightly like kind of leaning towards that sort of technology. What if all of that is there in the tower? It's all powered by 
like this one Fabriel down in the basement. Like this is the this is the generator that powers the entire city, perhaps. All of that's kind of like a far fetched, you know, we're going a little crazy here, bridging maybe into like some sci fi stuff, but I think the oath gates have inspired me a little bit. Those are very sci-fi, like teleportation yeah. and all of that. We, we've now stepped into a whole new realm of possibilities ever since that's been a reality. So now my mind is like, oh, what if, what if, what if? This could be like the Fabriel that powers all those what ifs, maybe. And just jumping on there real quick, that Dalinar has mentioned a couple times in this book so far how cold the tower is and how like, it kind of feels unlivable yep. where you have to be like in the center of the tower to feel even remotely warm and the rest of it's like super cold because you're on the top of a mountain. So that would fix that problem for sure. Who knows? Maybe it's just a pretty work of art down in the basement. Could be. I'm excited to see if there's something else with it. Um, I guess I didn't give it too much thought, honestly. I could see what Elliot was saying would be super cool if it was kind of like a, a source of power that they could utilize uh, in the city, or even if it was something significant with the Knight's Radiance or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I honestly didn't give it too much thought. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I like the idea of it being that, but also if we went on this kind of like couple chapter journey of like oh let's figure out what this is and stuff and then it's like whoa this powers our city i would be like okay cool can we go back to something more significant now <laughs> like that would kind of be my thoughts with it to be honest like okay nice nice little i guess side note cool um so i, I if if something is cool happens great if if not i'm uh <laughs> ready to get to the meat and potatoes of our story here, honestly. Um. I just want to mention, before we do move on to some interesting, maybe one more in interesting thing at the end of this chapter, on the whole Fabriel thing, we do actually learn a little bit about Fabriels here that I feel like we didn't learn, hadn't learned before. We, we'd kind of been hinted at before, but Yasna spells it out very clearly to Shalon here that Fabriels are powered by captured Spren. Like they've trapped a spren inside the gemstone, and that is what powers whatever that Fabriel is doing. And Shalon actually like has a little bit of a problem with this. She's she's like, well, hang on a wait, we're capturing and imprisoning spren. You know, she's thinking of Pattern, who is to her a person, right? And, right. You know, someone she talks to all the time, and thinking of him being trapped in a gemstone for the rest of his life. And Yasna kind of comes back with. I think she's referencing the discussion we've kind of heard before about there's different levels of spren. Yeah, like, Paul, I think you were talking about this earlier. There's your your higher spren, if you will, and then there's more of like the maybe animal-type level spren. And so Yasna kind of just com compares it to, well, you hitch a plow to a cow or a chull, I suppose, in this world. And that, you know, so she has no problem with, you know, using a whatever spren to power her fabrial. But interesting little kind of inner workings of the universe glimpse there that yeah maybe that'll become more important later maybe it won't if you actually compare this to the interlude we just read just previous to this the parshendi have gem hearts like they have a they have a gem heart and uh venli has an has an interesting line that the the humans used to like carve the dead Parshendi open to get the gem heart out. And that's why they don't touch their dead because they think it's sacrilegious or whatever. And so there's something kind of similar happening there is they have a gem heart and then they use a spren to change forms. So what, like they had to accept a spren into their gem heart during the, the Everstorm, like that storm spren to change forms. So there's there's kind of a similar thing happening there too. Yeah, this interaction between spren and gemstones and powering things or creating powers or enabling 
abilities based on like types of spren or all that is very interesting. And I feel like we need to learn more about the spren and their world before we can unlock what it all means. But it's it's all going in my massive list of notes and questions for sure. I feel like we're boring Paul. He just wants plot and we're talking about Favrils and <laughs> Yeah. This is kind of what I was expecting a little bit in, in the middle of their book is like, okay, it can't be extremely like relevant, exciting for like twelve hundred pages fully. Right. And and this is neat stuff, but it's like, okay. This is our filler. I'll wait until we get to like part four or whatever again, you know? Um, yeah. Just just being honest, I, I do hope it picks up a little bit because I feel like there are so many big things at hand. Um, and it's like, I don't want to just ignore those for like two parts to add a lot of length and then come back to them, I guess. Um, that's That's been my biggest fear with this is like, okay. Is it going to be just really slow for two full parts? Um, I guess we'll have to see. So far, it was just interludes. It's interludes, so like that's nothing too bad. And chapter 33 was pretty exciting. We had Yasna, so it's definitely not bad. I, I, I'm not bored yet. <laughs> All right. Just one more, one more topic before we close this episode. Else callers, or we learned more about like a specific nice radiant here. We we knew that Yasna was an else caller, but Yasna gives us way more information than she ever really has. She's always been kind of, you know, don't really talk to me about my my powers at the beginning of Words of Radiance because, you know, she didn't. Shalon has just stolen her. Fabriel, you know, her fake Fabriel. And so she didn't she she was certainly keeping Shalon at arm's length, but now that they're you're a Thiru, everyone and their mother is a Knight's Radiant, so she gets to kind of go into more detail about what she can do. And she says that Else Callers more than other Knights Radiant are tied to Shadesmar. And she says that eat all of the Knights Radiant are do to like touch Shadesmar with their spren, because that's where the spren are from. But she says that Else Caller specifically have a a closer tie to Shadesmar than um than most do. So Yeah, and she explains to a little bit of why it took her so long to come back. She says that she can shift to Shadesmar really easily and quickly, which she does to prevent getting killed. But then coming back, she describes as really difficult. She talks about how she has to find a transfer point, I think is what she called it. Like a, a point where the worlds kind of meet. And so she was spending all this time trying to find that so she could get back, basically. But that answers a little bit of one of our questions about Hoyd, actually. It we does. were wondering, like, how did he know where she was going to appear? Well... Clearly, if this is true about the transfer point, he knew that that was the transfer point. So somehow he was aware of that merging of the the realms and knew that, hey, if I just sit here, this is the only place Yasna can be when she comes back, basically. So that at least helps us a little bit there, I think. You can even... Go ahead, Paul. I don't have that much to add. I was just going to say, I, I I hadn't thought about that, like how Hoyd would have known where that transfer spot is, but that's really interesting. Um, my, my The rest of my comment may get us off topic, so if you have something to add, Trevor, go ahead. I do. You can even take this one step further with Hoyd and, and Yasna. So there's I don't think there's any way you guys could have come to this by yourselves, but you do have all the information. So... Do you guys remember back in Words of Radiance, towards the beginning, Kaladin and his men are out drinking. And Rock tells this crazy story about how this guy just appeared right in front of him. And Sigzil gets all nervous at the description of this guy. Do you guys remember this? I do, because we theorized in the the moment that it was Hoyd. We didn't have... 
a lot of evidence to say like this is definitely Hoyd, but we we thought we th- we speculated it, it might be. And we actually had evidence that it wasn't Hoyd. Do you remember this? Was this about like there was some? Mm, I don't remember the details exactly. Some like god or something of like thievery or mischief or something like that that we talked about. Is mm-hmm. it the same conversation? I believe. I believe so. Yes. I think okay. so. Wasn't one of the evidence against was the whole hair color thing? Correct. Mm-hmm. So it was black and white hair. Yep. Yeah. So there's yeah there's a couple pieces to put together here that we had evidence that this was Hoyd based on Sigzel's reaction because Sigzel knows knows Hoyd, but we also had evidence that it wasn't because of that the hair color was wrong. However, since reading Warbreaker, we know that hair color isn't necessarily a big stickler because if you know the right people, you can change your hair color. Uh, so Hoyd, and let me back up a little bit. Rock has a very specific tie to Spren, right? He can see a lot of Spren that most can't. And it even surprises Sill that Sill's like, oh, wait, you can see me? And Rock like yeah of course i can see you i'm a, i'm a horn eater and that's supposed to like you know explain that so rock has an interesting tie to shadesmar and then he can see spren and this would all lead us to assume that hoyd that rock lives near that transfer point that hoyd came through and that's what how hoyd knew where yasna was coming out of so hoyd went back there to wait for Yasna, and Rock has a special tie to Shadesmar, even if he doesn't really know it. He's kind of lived next to that that transfer point. He's been closer to Shadesmar. That gives him the um, the spread tie that he has. Does did any of that feel like spoilers, or am I kind of just trying to piece together a couple pieces for you? A little bit. I hadn't realized that. I guess I'm trying to figure out, like, is there one permanent transfer point and there's no others? Or do these, like, move around on a shifting basis? And part of what Yasna's doing is trying to figure out, okay, where is it now sort of thing? Or is there one thing and it's on top of this one mountain and that's close to where, you know, Rock lives? If that was the case, that's new information for sure. I hadn't really associated Rock's location to this place. But, yeah, I'd have to go back and reread that that discussion little deeper but i do remember that before and that is very very interesting i hadn't either and just honestly like i've kind of like they made the joke trevor uh so was kind of surprised when rock saw him and he was like oh yeah i'm a horn eater and as if she would just be oh okay yeah but i that was me i was like oh okay like that makes sense you know? <laughs> And I've kind of just like discounted it as like, yeah, like the Hoyn Eaters just kind of see Spren. Like it's just what they do, I guess. Um, so honestly, I haven't thought about it that much and I've never like, I guess, worried about it. That's still um, kind of an open question for us, right? Whether this is a rock thing or whether this is a Hoyn Eater thing. Right. Because he doesn't seem to feel like it's that, you know, special, but... We've not really met any other horn eaters or gotten their perspective to know do all horn eaters see Spren or did something happen to Rock? Does he have some sort of ability? Does some sort of tie to Shadesmar that Trevor, you might be hinting at that's, you know, specific to him? That's still a question I feel like we're trying to track down as well. Good stuff. Any more thoughts on on this episode in general or Specifically on that. We're we're learning more. We're definitely starting to piece a few things together. I agree with Paul. This was perhaps a, a slower set of, of chapters and interludes, a little more lore heavy, a little more sort of world building, perhaps some of those kind of here's how this works, or here's another little bit of information that's going to be important later that means absolutely nothing to you right now kind of stuff. And so it was, it was a fun set of chapters to read because I like digging for that kind of stuff, but... We'll we'll see where part two takes us because it's off to a little bit of a slow start. Yeah, I I think the biggest thing I'm I'm wanting to see right now, or that I was thinking of, that I wanted to bring up before we close out, 
Um, so Yasna is back with the crew now. Um, she's back. And so we've seen her spread before. Whenever she was on the boat, right? It was some little inky-looking man. like yep. so, Something like that. Um, and I'm curious, because we haven't seen anything from her perspective with her sprint, right? Like, we haven't... We don't know her sprint's name or personality or characteristics, right? Um, I was also thinking about that with Renarin, because Renarin has to have a sprint, right? And we haven't seen it at all, right? Correct. Um, and I, I'm just really hoping that in, in our next couple chapters or parts or whatever, I would really like to... I feel like that could help us put some pieces together, because we have several ideas and things that we're going off of based on, like, sill pattern, Wendell a little bit. And that's basically it, like, our, our and, and, and maybe the Stormfather. Storm right. Yeah, maybe the Stormfather. Um, and I think if we got Yasna's Spren, Renarin's Spren, and maybe our Voidbringers, whatever, however that is, I don't know if we'll see that perspective from Malata. But if so, that'd be cool. That's something that I would like to see, because I feel like that can help us just put together a lot of actual pieces. Did you just accidentally call a Dustbringer a Voidbringer? Oh, sorry. Yes. Because they would our be very bringer. offended. They'd be very I'm offended. Very, I'm very sorry to our Dustbringers watching. You're not a Voidbringer. You are a Dustbringer, and I'm sure you have a special purpose. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was a very genuine apology. Um... Yes, that's what I meant to say. I apologize. Uh, but yes, seeing our other sprint I think would be really cool and give a lot more insight. Um, and I'm hoping now that Yasna is back, maybe we will get to see some of that. Any closing thoughts, Elliot? Nah, I think we covered everything. I'm excited to keep going and learn more. Sounds good. Let's read more and reconvene next week. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. See ya. Of course.